You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou fount of every Welcome back. Today, we are going to spend time, we're going to skip uh, Mark 8, only because I don't have anything to really add to this story. Uh, but today we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And so if you would, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. If you if you want to just kind of listen in, you certainly can do that too. But there's a lot going on in chapter 9. So we'll see. We may split this up into two or three episodes. It may just be one. We'll see how this goes. But in Mark chapter 9, uh, And he said unto them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So first, one has to realize that uh, everybody there tasted of death. Everybody there died. Uh, nobody, nobody lived forever. Uh, and I know that there is some debate within some facets of Christianity that perhaps John the Revelator never tasted death. But as Jesus here is saying, look, there's some some here who are standing right here, right now, who are not going to taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. My, the, the point here when I read this is I see Jesus telling them that some are going to come to an awareness of the kingdom of God and the power that it has before they taste of death. And it seems to be telling me that some people are going to wake up. And when you look around at people who are going through life, there are folks who are living in what Richard Rohr calls the first half of life. They lack vulnerability. They uh, lack transparency. They're pretending. They're pretending about their own shadows. They're pretending about their own unhealthiness. They're being what others need them to be. And at some point, so many people have what many label kind of a midlife crisis. And, and you realize things just aren't providing you the happiness you thought they were when you when you went about following all the rules that the world set out for you. And so people end up getting divorced, people end up leaving religions, people end up doing lots of different things that have them making drastic changes in their life because they woke up to the things that they were told, the ways that they were told about how the world worked not holding up. And, and they enter the second half of life where they start to go like, you know what, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be more vulnerable. I'm going to be more authentic, more honest, more transparent. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to realize, I realize the world could have been built a different way. It could have been built a billion different ways. And just because the world built itself this way doesn't mean I have to operate in the world only based on that one way. And you can show up in the world differently. And so I sense here Jesus notifying them, look, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they, and as he puts it, see the kingdom of God has come with power. 
and I'm going to say, wake up to the world more as it really is. Jesus then goes into the story about the boy with seizures, and uh, the father brings this boy, and uh, Jesus and the father both kind of see that he is possessed of something, possessed of evil spirits. And and the reality is that I, I just don't believe in possession. Uh, I'm I'm happy to have uh, you know a possession happen right in front of my face and me believe it, but I'm I'm a skeptic by nature. I tend to look for more rational explanations for things. And what I don't see the New Testament ever talking about is somebody with uh, with epilepsy. You do have a mention of somebody with palsy, but there are lots of health disorders. If we take a hundred people who have seizures and we in 2020 look at them with our modern eyes and our modern uh, ways at evaluating issues and, and instances, we would recognize that essentially every single instance we would diagnose as some kind of medical disorder and be able to show that that is the case, that this person has epilepsy, that this person has MS, that this person has Parkinson's disease. Like we can easily address most of these issues and these instances. When you go to the New Testament, you don't see that. Every time somebody is awkward or different or saying things that would indicate some type of craziness or disorder, we label it as a possession. And the reality is that it almost assuredly would be these other issues and they make more rational and logical sense. And so when this boy comes who has seizures and they're claiming it's a possession, it almost certainly is something else, a health issue of epilepsy. And you have Jesus who is also saying like, look, this kid's possessed. And so Jesus is a product of his own time. Jesus is a person who lives in a time long, long ago and does not have access to or awareness of the medical expertise of 2020. And yet, because we treat him as divine, as the son of God, as half God walking upon the earth, as somebody who is in touch with revelation and can receive uh, information that none of us have access to, then we grant Jesus the space that he is right. This person is possessed. And I'm simply going to suggest here that we consider that Jesus is doing the best he can with the situation in front of him and that he doesn't have the medical expertise or awareness to be able to address and diagnose these health issues that cause seizures, and hence he is limited by the place and time in which he is. I've, I'm not a big believer in healings. Uh, I've watched and heard about healings having taken place. I've seen the televangelists do it. I've heard of healings and participated in what I would have described as a healing in my time within my own religion, and I've listened to other people's stories within my religion and inside other religions. And I'm very skeptical that healings happen in the religious sense. I certainly think that people get better. I certainly think that so many cases out of every thousand of cancer can get better on their own. Uh, I don't think there's any magic involved. In fact, I would argue that there is science and there is rational explanations, even if we don't in 2020 in this very moment understand them. It's kind of like the idea of a, uh, a bumblebee. Science, by the way, you can look this up. Science 
agrees that there's no real explanation for how a bumblebee flies. They've done studies on the size of the bumblebee's body, his weight, the size of his wings, the way in which his wings move, and scientists go, look, that thing should not be able to fly, but it does. Now, is that a God miracle? No. If there's a scientific explanation, we just don't quite grasp it yet. And, and so as time goes on, we are going to continue to learn new things. We're going to continue to expand our knowledge. And as we do, we're going to come up with explanations for things that we don't currently have an explanation for. And in science, you're always looking for the most rational explanation. Moving on in chapter 9, the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest later on in the chapter. chapter. Jesus, he who is, says he who is first must be last and servant of all. He's hitting on an important thing, right? Like when you're among a group of people and we humans are just doing what humans do, our arrogance and our pride often get in the way. And we humans want other humans to recognize the skills and talents we have and the gifts we have to offer to the tribe or community. That's a natural thing. And so people bragging about themselves or debating who is better or who is first seems really human, a really human thing to do. And Jesus' comment is one meant to kind of stop them in their tracks and put them in their place. He who is first must be last and servant of all. And when I was reading this the other day, preparing for this episode, I was thinking back to a kid I went to school with, Lucas Keller. Lucas Keller was a, a popular kid, good-looking kid. He was uh, really well-liked in our school. He played football, played other sports too, and uh, he was friendly to everybody. And he tended to not be braggadocious like some of the other kids that were at the same talent level in sports and at the same popularity level in the school. He seemed to like everybody, and he seemed to be kind and considerate and inclusive of everyone. He seemed to simply go about his business and extending kind of a hand of fellowship, if I could say, to everyone around him. And that stuck out to me. He was somebody who didn't try to put himself first. He just tried to be part of the group and be himself, and he tried to make space for others to be part of the group and to be themselves. And so I think Jesus hits on a really important point when he says, he who is first must be last and servant of all. The, the lesson is that you need to treat yourself as you're not special. Treat yourself as if you're just another human among billions of other humans. Everybody should have an equal access to fairness and compassion and kindness and resources, and that we ought to work in the world to help make that happen. And you don't get to do those things, be last and serve all in an effort to get yourself propped up as first. But what Jesus is saying is that when you treat other humans as equals to yourself and put others who have needs before yourself, when the light, when your life is over, people will look back and go, that guy, that guy was a good guy. That gal was a good gal. They were kind. They were compassionate. They were inclusive. Only then shall you see, and you won't because you'll be dead, that those who put themselves last and serve others end up getting the very thing that they were fighting others for. That when you fight others for, you almost never attain. You're always pushing and pressing, trying to get others to see you as first. But even in a fleeting moment where you are applauded or acknowledged, that moment passes, and now you're on to another moment where you're fighting again 
to be seen as first. It's only when you let go of your ego and the expectation or the need that you can begin to be your true self and be accepted among those that care about you and those that don't have much care for you at all. Jesus uses this moment where he talks about who is first, must be last, and servant of all. And he takes the little child in his arms and he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus essentially saying, be kind to the children. We so often are dismissing children in our lives. We're so often pushing them away. We're so often seeing them as not having any value to add to a conversation or to an experience. And so we're often pushing little children uh, away from the experiences and just asking them to sit still and to be quiet. So many parents are really harsh. I've been super harsh myself throughout my life at times with my kids. Jesus is suggesting that we be kind to the children because someday that child is going to be an adult. And if you want a healthy, responsible adult who's reaching into the world in positive ways, a productive, kind, fun, helpful approach to these children is how we get there. The creative spirit in the universe, we do we do it good by being kind to children and by helping children to grow up to be healthy, responsible adults. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, said Jesus, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. This is kind of an interesting, and we'll, we'll end with this one. It's kind of an interesting quote. No one can do a miracle in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is always pointing to the Father. So Jesus essentially comes in as a rabbi or a guru, and Jesus uh, operates in the world in a way that he draws attention to himself as one who is wise and connected to the divine. And again, you have to understand this from an Eastern approach. So he gains a following, and these folks are always looking to Jesus as the guru. And as the guru, Jesus is always pointing people to the divine, but using himself as an example. And so when Jesus says, you know, anyone who does a miracle in my name cannot speak bad about me. Anyone who does a miracle can't speak bad about the source from which miracles come. And again, I'm coming to this as a skeptic. But I'm also acknowledging the mindset that the people at this moment have. So Jesus is saying like, look, if these guys do good things in my name, they can't speak bad about me. They're doing good in my name. They're, they're also trying to connect to the source. They're also trying to connect to the creative spirit in the universe. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. As you go through the world, as you get up each day, as you operate, as you, as you look around and try to be the best version of you, the secret to me is just be kind. As things happen, try to leave space for why people are the way they are and why they do the things they do, why people get angry and why people are dishonest, why people cause harm. And when you grant a little bit of compassion because of what happened to them when they were kids and what happened to them this morning when they woke up, then you're better equipped to walk through the world being present and being the best version of you as you deal with others 
sometimes falling short of being the best version of the you can do it you can be a better you today be present and recognize that all the good we do is a reflection of the great creative spirit in the universe of which we are this has been the mythical jesus podcast see you next time Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of god he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood